My name is Mark Beatty, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. I'd like to highlight some of the content from the July edition of the journal. Serum ammonia use, unnecessary, frequent and costly. This is the first paper I'd like to cover. It is an important topic and an interesting paper to work through. Serum ammonia is important for the diagnosis and management of urea cycle disorders and acute liver failure. Based on the premise that serum ammonia levels are unreliable for the diagnosis of hepatic encephalopathy and not associated with the severity of hepatic encephalopathy in individuals with cirrhosis, Abby and colleagues looked at serum ammonia ordering in adult patients presenting to a large Midwestern healthcare system. That's 20,338 tests on 8,536 patients over a five-year period. 53% of the cohort had chronic liver disease. Eight patients had a urea cycle disorder. 69 patients had acute liver failure. And 148 were on sodium valproate. Of the 20,338 tests, 1,138, that's 6.5%, were ordered for a definitive appropriate indication, while the remainder were felt to have been ordered inappropriately. There was no change in the proportions over time. This data set has significant financial implications with the title being unnecessary, frequent and costly testing, and the need to educate clinicians regarding appropriate ammonia testing. In essence, when to do and when not to do. We don't, for example, want to miss a urocycle disorder. There's an excellent accompanying commentary, testing for ammonia, do as I say, not as we do, which includes a nice table on when to test in the hospital setting. The second paper I'd like to cover relates to anorexia nervosa and the gastrointestinal tract editor's choice this month. Anorexia nervosa is a complex eating disorder associated with a high morbidity and mortality. The incidence and therefore prevalence is increasing. In the issue, Jaffa and colleagues review the presenting features relating to and impacting on the gastrointestinal tract. There is significant overlap with the symptoms and signs of organic and non-organic gastrointestinal disease, which can make the diagnosis and management challenging. Early involvement of the multidisciplinary team in management is essential, including when nutritional impairment is severe, careful nutritional therapy and the guidance of nutritional support teams. The authors discuss the specifics, including diagnostic criteria, multiple gastrointestinal manifestations, there's an excellent figure, and impact of treatment. Essential reading for gastroenterologists, there's an accompanying podcast, Editor's Choice this month. The third and important paper I'd like to cover relates to the issue of whether duodenal biopsy is always necessary for the diagnosis of celiac disease. This is controversial in adults, although well-established in paediatric practice, where a tenfold increase in the anti-tissue transglutaminase antibody plus anti-endomesal antibody positivity is sufficient to make the diagnosis of celiac disease without the need for biopsy. In this issue, Biogatol and colleagues report on 144 patients, all anti-TTG IgA positive, 
biopsy between 2013 and 2018. Of the 144, 88 had confirmed celiac disease. In this cohort, all of the patients with greater than 10 times the upper limit of normal anti-TTG IgA had celiac disease confirmed on biopsy. This is consistent with other data. Life-threatening coexistent conditions were rare. The detail is in the paper. These findings support the approach of serology-based diagnosis of celiac disease in risk-stratified patients where red flags for other conditions are not present. This has the potential to reduce unnecessary procedures and reduce the wait time for more urgent cases in the stressed healthcare system post-COVID. The fourth paper I'd like to highlight relates to photo-documentation in colonoscopy, with the provocative title of The Need to Do Better. There is wide variation in the recommendations for photo-documentation at colonoscopy. In this issue, Ahmed and colleagues review the current guidance. Photographic proof of the ileocecal valve, terminal allium or anastomosis, documentation of any other part of the colon is not mandated. Ahmed et al. review current guidance. Photographic proof of ileocecal valve, terminal allium or anastomosis with documentation of any other part of the colon not mandated, and present the potential for, strategies for, and challenges of improving. In essence, discussing the pertinent question as to whether more comprehensive voter documentation will lead to improvements in the quality and reliability of the examination. The authors discuss current standards, Audits in 2011 and 2018 showed photo documentation to confirm sequel intubation in just 50%. Barriers to improvement and future strategies include how to take better photographs. This paper should be read by all endoscopists and challenges to look at our practice. Many factors are relevant, including time taken to take the images, quality of the image capture and the recording system. I'm sure, however, that standardisation of guidance, like there is for gastroscopy, would at least help move things forward. The fifth paper relates to artificial intelligence and inflammatory bowel disease, practicalities and future prospects. Artificial intelligence is an emerging field which has the potential to impact significantly on the quality of care and outcome in clinical medicine. In this issue, Brooks, Orbiton and colleagues review the recent development and opportunities for application in inflammatory bowel disease. The authors discuss the common approaches, including deep and machine learning, there's an excellent figure, the different methodologies which can be applied to all aspects of the patient journey, including genomics, endoscopy, disease classification, risk stratification, self-monitoring and personal management. These are all nicely summarised in figure two. The potential is massive and adds to clinical trial data when deciding on how best to diagnose and manage the new patient to achieve the best long-term outcome. The final paper I'd like to mention, and really it's to highlight how successful these debates are, is the report from the Twitter debate, Controversies in Pregnancy in IBD and Liver Disease. Please read and enjoy. This includes important discussions on the management of IBD during pregnancy, colonoscopy during pregnancy, 
liver disease in pregnancy, acute fatty liver disease in pregnancy and the importance of the multidisciplinary team. Please consider participating in our future debates. Great way to engage and discuss important topics. Our trainee editors put together an excellent summary of Gastroenterology 2022 relating to what we'd learned from COVID, Groundhog Day. It's interesting because it challenges us to learn by reflection. It's an engaging summary of where we are with COVID, written during January 22, i.e. during the surge in infections. So much has happened over the last two years. They're unprecedented times. We have had to learn how to adapt and be resilient while constantly striving to improve all aspects of the way we work, learn and provide healthcare. It's an excellent read and should give us much food for future thought. Please read and enjoy the issue. Please continue to read, enjoy and feedback on the journal. Follow us on Twitter, join the Twitter debates and listen to the regular podcasts accessed via the journal website. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology. Thanks for listening.